Good morning, everyone. We have a really exciting and, and a special press conference uh, today. This is obviously the, the world of dealing with uh, head trauma and concussions and so forth. It's a big topic in, in all sports uh, today. Uh, we have three leading experts in the, uh, in the efforts to diagnose and, and treat not only drivers, but uh, people who have been concussed. Uh, I'd like to introduce to you, uh, first start with uh, IndyCar's medical director, Dr. Jeff Billows. On the other end, we have Dr. Terry Trammell, who's obviously a leading, uh, been a leading safety consultant and had a variety of roles with, with uh, IndyCar racing and Indianapolis Motor Speedway over uh, his career. And in the middle, we have Howison, Howison Schroeder, who is the president and CEO of, of NeuroKinetics, which uh, will be a key part of today's discussion. I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Trammell. If you could uh, talk to us today about, uh, first, give us kind of a quick little overview of, of IndyCar's concussion protocol, and then tell us about the, the uh, device today that we're going to talk about that should be a real difference maker. You've even called it a, a game changer uh, for uh, the process of, of treating drivers and diagnosing uh, their, their situations. Right. The, we, in, we, IndyCar, have been um, on the forefront of concussion diagnosis and prevention, really concussion prevention, for a long time um, through design changes in the race car itself that have come about over um, a long period of time to make the head surround the environment safer and more protective for the, the driver. We still, however, have had some head injuries and um, concussive phenomena in the past and the issue turns into how best to make an accurate diagnosis. And it's important to understand that that always begins with a careful physical examination and observation of the driver. So information from the safety team on the racetrack, uh, the, the physician that's present on the racetrack at the time that the drivers um, reach, the first responders get there, that information becomes critical um, to be able to start the process for making a diagnosis of concussion. Uh, concussion is an event. It's, it's not an entity. The entity is a mild traumatic brain injury, and so we, we have to have an event to generate that. And one of the ways that we are able to analyze that event in the cases where the driver has a more subtle um, expression of a concussion or the mild traumatic brain injury uh, is utilizing the sensor data that's in the car. The car chassis has an accelerometer attached to it that measures uh, chassis Gs in a crash. The driver has ear accelerometers uh, that measure head accelerations during a crash in all six axes. And over the last several years, we've tried to correlate that information um, with clinical findings of a concussion. So we have an um, index of suspicion, as it were, that says, okay, this, this driver has a high index of suspicion for concussion, and that's roughly based on some G parameters. Everybody's a little bit different, but it would be very, very unusual, and we have not seen a concussion with head Gs of less than 50 Gs, um, and anything over 80 is worrisome. So in those cases where 
a driver may not exhibit clinical findings of a concussion immediately, <coughs> we look to other uh, ways to test the driver to see if there's something different that will pick up those subtle changes. And one of the, the classic things has been impact, which is a test that's taken on a computer that the driver does during their physicals early in, you know, preseason. And then if they have an event like this, we can repeat the impact test uh, and see if it's changed. But we're looking for a change. The advent of, of the uh, neurokinetics device is, is a battery of tests that are um, able to help us understand certain neural pathways that have been um, altered or are behaving out of norm. So they're, it's the tests that we use. And the, the best analogy I can give you, it, where, the, where this has changed the game, is compare this to, to cardiology. Um, a number of years ago, like in the 1800s, uh, the stethoscope was invented in 1816. And that allowed a physician to actually listen or auscultate the chest and hear the heartbeat and hear rhythms of the heart and so on and so forth. Um, a number of years later, like 1903, the first electrocardiogram machine was invented and actually won the Nobel Prize in 1924. That was a real game changer for cardiology. It now gave an objective test that allowed the physician to look at a tracing, a graph, uh, and correlate that with clinical findings for heart disease, uh, heart attack. Now you could still have a heart attack and not have it show on an EKG, or you could have EKG changes that said you'd had a heart attack but weren't having one. That's where we are now with the, the iPass system. It, it's a battery of tests that allow us to correlate our clinical suspicions with an objective measure. And it, it's not gameable. It measures um, vestibular, oculomotor, eye motor, and uh, reaction times so that we get some objectivity to that. And there are enough tests that have been done across the board that they're normals for a population. And those normals are constantly being updated. And actually, we, we IndyCar drivers have created some new normals for some of the reaction time tests because we're so fast. And, and that's kind of where we stand with it now. So we're talking about, and we loosely, it's called the iPass system, but this is essentially a goggles test that's going to track uh, the eye movement. If you Correct. want to show what, what this goggles system looks like, uh, it feeds a computer, and, and the driver experiences a series of tests, um, 11 of them, as I believe, maybe 14. Uh, but there are a series of tests uh, which, which provides an objective look at at what's happening uh, with, Correct. with the driver's head. Now the the uh, test subject puts these on, and when they do that, this is connected, well, this harness is connected to a, a laptop computer, and it generates uh, data. I'll show you the graphs here in a minute. The, what the testing person sees are the person's eyeballs. You literally see their eyeballs, uh, the whites of their eyes, the pupils, the the cornea or the iris and so on and so forth. So you can see the, the eye muscles contract, your pupil get bigger and smaller. So 
think of going to the doctor and he says, you know, follow my finger back and forth. Now follow it into your nose and back out of your nose. This does that, but it does it optically. And it's very, very sensitive and it measures the changes in your eye um, very accurately and to infinitesimally small degrees. Um, and then that gives us an output. And from that output, think EKG, I'll just grab one. It's kind of dramatic. It, it gives a um, printout, or we can print it out. It doesn't have to be printed out. And it does that for each test. And each test may have two or three different um, graphs that come out of it. <clears throat> and with utilizing that data, coupled with the clinical exam, we can come up with a um, diagnosis. The doctor still makes the diagnosis. The machine doesn't make the diagnosis. Um, but it, back to the EKG analogy, now we actually have um, numerical data that isn't dependent on um, the subject's behavior, providing they can cooperate with the test, and they can't game it. There's, there's nothing you can do to change your physiology. It just is. And so that's the real value, and it's very subtle. So where this becomes the, the real game changer is we have somebody that has an off on Sunday, and Monday they call up and say, you know, I don't feel quite right. Uh, just something's not the way it was on Saturday. And they may not have clinically they may not have signs of a clinical concussion based on what we've used in the past to make that diagnosis because the changes are subtle. This just gives us a battery of more specific tests to use in our clinical evaluation. Dr. Bellows, if you could give us a little bit of history. You've, you were introduced to the system. This has been uh, used primarily or, or the origins came from, from uh, the military, but it, it landed uh, as a development piece in, uh, at the University of Miami. So a couple years ago, you had an incident which led you, uh, incident to uh, Dr. Steve Alvey at, at the University of Miami's concussion program, and then how you've taken it to the point of, of now all your drivers uh, for this year's race have undergone a, a concussion test ahead of time just to see where, where they stand. Sure. Uh, we, we did have an incident several years ago with the 2016 season in which um, one of the drivers had a very minor incident on the track and uh, the following day developed some symptoms and he actually decided himself that he would not be able to drive. We went and took a look at him and evaluated him and his symptoms were significant enough that his performance was really impaired to the point that uh, we felt that he was having concussion-like symptoms. So at that point, we put him into the uh, concussion protocol. He was then uh, sent in uh, uh, to the hospital for more sophisticated testing and ultimately um, an alternative, he, he had an alternative uh, diagnosis and, and that's fine. Um, we would, and one of the tests he had in the hospital was uh, the iPass goggles. Uh, when drivers are having symptoms, when they have uh, symptoms that could possibly be uh, a concussion, uh, we would rather uh, uh, err conservatively 
uh, and place that driver in a concussion protocol, and if um, it ultimately it's determined that he had an alternative diagnosis, that's fine. We would rather have that happen than to send a driver back out on the track that has a concussion. We don't want to miss a concussion because um, it, the, the uh, uh, results of that could be devastating to both the individual and the other drivers on the track. So part of the uh, protocol that, we, that he went through at the University of Miami was the I-PASS goggles, and he ultimately, uh, again, he ultimately had an alternative diagnosis. But you know, that, that's kind of the way the concussion protocol was uh, designed and it, it uh, worked uh, uh, then. So since then, we have uh, taken a look at this system. We began in the 2017 season uh, testing some of the drivers. This year, I think that we have tested all of the drivers in their uh, annual physical uh, evaluations so that we have baselines on all the drivers. The um, interesting thing about this device is, uh, as uh, Dr. Trammell mentioned, you can't game it. In other words, they can't intentionally do poor on their baseline so that they can look better if, if something happens. Part of the SCAT test that, that we use is self-reporting, and uh, drivers have to self-report symptoms that they're feeling. So, you know, they may or may not um, uh, be forthcoming in self-reporting. I think the benefit of this um, device it's, again, it doesn't replace anything we're already doing. It's another tool. It's another piece of the puzzle. Uh, it will help us, I think, uh, detect concussions in, in patients, as uh, Dr. Trammell mentioned, that have very subtle findings. And we do see that. People call us the next day and say, you know, I feel a little foggy. I feel like I'm not processing information well. And we can bring them back and test them on the iPass. We have had, the, the, the one problem that we have is um, through the years, the um, design of the cars and the personal protective equipment has, has uh, uh, come to the, to the point where it protects the driver so well, we have very few concussions actually. We have very, very few head injuries. We did have a head injury a few weeks ago in one of the uh, Pro Mazda drivers uh, down in um, Alabama when we were there. And he was, um, based on just his clinical exam, he was um, significantly concussed and went to the hospital and came back here uh, two weeks later, right? And, and, it was two, uh, just two weeks. Right. And, and we tested him with the goggles, and we could see exactly uh, where his problem had been and um, uh, that he was where he should be uh, two or three weeks following a concussion. One of the amazing as aspects is the amount of time it takes to, to conduct this test. You can have this test in about eight minutes, right. uh, depending on how quickly it's administered, more so than, right. than how quickly the, the patient can take the test. So it's important that, that you have the tools to make the right decision in a very short period of time. Correct. And you know, when we first started doing it, it was more like 20 or 30 minutes, and now we've, we've gotten it down. That now that we're more comfortable with it and we've had more experience with it, it's about 8 to 10 minutes. It's not very long. Mr. Schroeder, can you talk about you know, how this uh, impacts, how IndyCar's role has been really uh, unique in, in the people that, that you've had a chance to reach out to and, and what you've seen from other sports organizations, the leadership? Uh, uh, at the table and then with Dr. Alvey and, and the commitment IndyCar's made? I'd be delighted. Um, 
We've all seen a lot of technologies that have been out there and putting themselves in the headlines. We have actually not put our scarce dollars into much of promoting headlines. We've put our time and efforts into the science and the engineering so that we had something that was precise. The basic gist is, can we actually measure the neurofunctional signals, biosignals of the brain? And the answer is yes. IndyCar, and let me back up a little bit. Professional sports, obviously, headlines everywhere concerns about concussions. But nobody really quite knows what to do about concussions. IndyCar has, in my experience, been the first professional sports organization to take a lead in concussions. Partly, maybe it's a little less risk to them, as, as um, Dr. Billow said, not a whole lot of concussions here. but. Good heavens, two people going down the road at 200 plus miles an hour, the millisecond decisions they've got to make. If you're not right, you make a mistake. You not only might hurt yourself badly and kill yourself, but the driver next to you, a fan, a spectator, and I think it's just impressive that IndyCar has chosen to take this lead and promote what I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe this is the first significant addition to a concussional protocol in a pro sport in the last 10, 15 plus years. Um, we're, we're just ecstatic, flattered, honored to be the ones that have been able to cross that Rubicon. One last thing for Dr. Trammell before we open it up to questions. Uh, you make the point, and I'll, I'll borrow from another, another uh, opportunity, <clears throat> that, that in our system we are innocent until proven guilty. Uh, in your concussion uh, analysis, it, it is almost the opposite. Tell me more about that. Well, obviously we have a, a strong um, feeling that we can't miss a concussion. So as Dr. Billows put out, um, if we're going to err, it's going to be on the side of safety. And if it risks the driver's health, in our opinion, to let him drive, then that's it's too bad. I mean, but it's the safe thing to do. What this does, and I'll give an anecdotal example, we had a driver at Texas uh, last year who had an impact twice. He hit the outside wall, and then he came across hit the inside wall, both times a little over 50 dead Gs. And when he uh, was evaluated in the Enfield Care Center, he made the comment that he felt like he'd had a glass of wine. He was a little woozy. Um, and it's, okay, you, that's it, pulled the chain. You, you've uh, triggered your concussion evaluation and took him um, aside, did the basic scat stuff, which he, he passed well, except the balance part was a little off. Then we did the goggles, and he was stone cold normal, and it hadn't changed from his previous um, deal. Well, it turned out he was a little bit woozy and a little bit uh, out of balance because he was dehydrated. We gave him a few, few of these, and uh, he didn't need the glass of wine anymore. Or maybe he did need the glass of wine, but he didn't feel like he had it. Perfect. Uh, questions? Uh, did you have one, David? Start with David Malsher here from Motorsport. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, any of you guys. Um, obviously, from what little we know about concussion, uh, non-medical people know not enough. Um, th does, does this eye test pick up the gradual deterioration uh, that people have after a series of concussions? We're in the process of doing a, a study with our drivers um, that quasi answers your question. 
We're taking all of their tests from 2017, looking at every driver in that test group that had um, an impact of greater than, with greater than 50 head Gs, and then looking at their current test to see if there are any subtle changes anywhere in the, the line of the testing. And you have to understand that some of these tests are multiple layers of, of answers um, beyond my capabilities right now of, of knowing that. There is some clinical application that perhaps uh, Mr. Schroeder could address better where it is being used to follow people actually the other direction to see if they're improving. And we've used it too to, to see if a driver is improving. As Dr. Bill has just said, our recent uh, Mazda driver, we are actually able to see that he was recovering from a concussion. Um, this does tell you if you've had one. Um, so concussion leaves a scar, so to speak. And there are parts of the tests here that will become um, they don't really diagnose that you've had a previous concussion, but they're consistent with that scar. Did I say that right? I think you did. Okay. <clears throat> the, um, if the eyes are an extension of the brain, and actually there are eye neurons in virtually every part of the brain, so if each one of these different tests, as Terry mentioned before, Dr. Tremel said before, taxes a different neural pathway, again, we're going to see these deficits. We've done some longitudinal data, and, uh, and actually this is a great opportunity. We've worked very closely with the University of Miami, a Dr. Hoffer. Dr. Hoffer is the one who got us introduced to Dr. Olvey and Dr. Olvey into these guys. Um, he's been just a phenomenal supporter for the cause of the science. He's got no stake in us whatsoever. He and his colleague, Dr. Balavan, they published a paper not long ago looking at the longitudinal tracking using this overt oculomotor vestibular reaction time data over about two and a half weeks. And you can see who got worse, who gets better, and who heals. To your bigger question, we've got anecdotal experience seeing people that have played rugby, other sports, where the cumulative effect of these concussions you can see, but we don't have enough data to say and correlate it. This technology, and, and thank you, um, Dr. Trammell, for the term game changer, being able to measure the brain's performance this way opens up a phenomenal whole field of opportunities when looking at this brain health data. Concussion is just this big, huge, unsolved need that so subtle, particularly these mild concussions, you need finely tuned precision technology to track it. If you can find a few extra million for us, we'd be happy to study this stuff uh, and see what it looks like. Over here. Uh, question to Dr. Tremel. With all your experience in concussion treatment and all the data you have, uh, from my personal uh, standpoint, it's quite important maybe that you have maybe a cooperation with helmet manufacturers and Hans devices to lessen concussions. Is there any cooperation with helmet manufacturers? There, there's You're asking if there's cooperation between different sporting organizations or? No, helmet manufacturers. Helmet. helmet. Oh, um, that's hard. There, there is one in particular that has spent a great deal of time and effort that I'm aware of 
to bring a, a helmet to youth football, um, utilizing information that we've, not from this, because we didn't have it then, but just our medical thoughts on concussion. Um, just, just briefly by way of background, the, the, the right question is, what is an orthopedic surgeon doing talking about concussions? And the, the answer is, first of all, the American Academy of Orthopedic <coughs> Surgeons says we have to know about it because most sports medicine doctors are orthopedic surgeons. Not all of them, but a lot of them. The second part of that is, is about 15 years ago, I got um, recruited, uh, is a polite way to say it, to be the team doctor, one of two team doctors for the original Naptown Roller Girls roller derby team. And because they play on concrete, on a flat track, we had concussions daily. I mean, every practice we had a girl with a concussion. And I didn't know anything about it at the time other than what I read in the journal. So I was forced into learning about this for that. Not any of this for, for racing. It was all for my roller derby girls. And that led to a number of changes in the league that they play in as far as concussion awareness, but also in the helmets. Um, we, we evolved them to hockey helmets because the hockey helmet makers uh, had figured out that they needed to do something about concussion. But the actual interchange is not as clear as maybe it could be or as, or as utilized. So I think that addresses your question. Okay, if there are any others. These guys will be available. Thank you. Uh, anything that we've missed? Anything you'd like to, to add, Dr. Bill? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, the, the amazing statistic, what have you tested? Four drivers uh, this year? Or last we year had, you tested? We had four episodes in the IndyCar drivers that were potentially uh, concussed that we wanted to do an evaluation, and they were all negative, both yeah. the clinical and the... Which really speaks to the safety elements, the headrests, the helmets, the whole right. package uh, that you talked about at the start. Gentlemen, thank you for this, and uh, a big round of applause for, for all those uh, drivers that you're helping to uh, diagnose. Thank you.